Thank you for downloading this podcast from our Tabar Gathering 2018. For more information on Tabar, please visit tabar-network.com. We hope you enjoy listening to this teaching. It is a thrill to be here. And because so much has happened in the UK, the stories and histories of revival that have happened from here. And it was from studying those and desiring, God, if you can do that then, you can do it in me now. If you could do that then, Jesus, stir up a desire inside of me for that to happen. That revival is, you know, it might be a big meeting, but what is a big meeting made up of? individuals. And God is looking at every single one of us in that meeting. And he knows what each and every one of us need to bring us to a revival state inside of us. The Bible doesn't talk about necessarily revivals, but it talks about revive me. Revive me, oh God. And In Psalm 78, 1 through 4, it says, Oh, my people, listen to my instructions. Open your ears to hear what I am saying, for I will speak to you in a parable. I will teach you hidden lessons from our past, past stories. We have heard and known stories and our ancestors handed down to us. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty works. His mighty works. We have to tell it. We have to pass it on down. That's why the Bible talks about writing it on the the doorpost and the tables of our heart. And I remember the day that God revived me. 1975, a long time ago. How many remember, how many were born after 1975? Do we have some in here? Oh, oh my goodness. Okay, I got revived in 1975. I met Jesus in 1975. I did not know him, but I got revived in my spirit and I met the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and he became my revival in my heart. The same month, Steve met... Jesus at home, and he was revived in his spirit. He was a drug addict. I was a drug addict. I started doing smoking and drinking when I was 12 years old. How many can relate to anything like that? Okay. Young. And then at 15, I'm smoking pot. At 16, I'm doing drugs. At 18, I'm sitting in jail. How many have sat in jail? Okay. No hands went up. I am very proud of oh, one hand, just kind of, it was a, a, like this kind of hand. <laughs> I sat in jail. Well, God used that to speak to my heart. That's what stirred in me. He said, Jairus, he not just spoke to my heart, I heard his voice. And I was not raised in church. We went to, I was an EC Christian, or not EC Christian, EC Lutheran. 
I didn't know Jesus. I went Easter and Christmas. That was it. And so I knew the Easter story and I knew the Christmas story. But I hadn't met Jesus until I was 18 years old. And Steve got saved at home. He started smoking and drinking at 12. And then he, at 19, let's see, 18, started shooting up heroin. And he had been arrested 13 times. Can we put those two pictures up? There you go. You see my bell bottoms in there? They're bigger than my shoulders. And you see Steve's long hair? There used to be a song out, Are You a Boy or Are You a Girl, with your long blonde hair. Okay. Well, there we were, before Christ. And what Jesus wants to do is revive us from our dead spiritual state. That's what revival is. Revival is when we come alive. We're in a spiritually dead state, and you're in a coma, and you go to a hospital, and they take those pads, and they bring you back to life. That's what coming to Jesus is like. You come to life, and he becomes your way of thinking. It's no longer your opinion. It's no longer what you want. It's what God wants in you, and it's what he wants to do in and through your life, and you want to have the heart of David, where you are a man and a woman after God's own heart, and when you are, then you want to do his will in everything you do. So here I was, 18, and I got saved, but God spoke to me in an audible voice sitting in jail. He spoke to me through a billboard with the scripture on it, John 3, 16, and he said, for you I died. And then he um, had a pastor come into my life. I was 16 years old, and every Saturday for two years, a pastor came to my house telling me that Jesus loved me and had a plan for my life. And I'd slam the door in his face and say, I'm not interested go away. I can't change. Do you know some people that they say they can't change? Is there somebody in your family? Raise your hand if you know somebody that says or you don't think that they could ever change. But I'm telling you, God can change a person. And Steve was totally transformed. I did not know him. He was in Huntsville, Alabama, and I was in uh, Claire, Michigan. And, but I got saved when I went into Teen Challenge. How many know about Teen Challenge? I got revived on a Monday night when he preached a message and I went forward and gave my heart to Jesus. And I let everything else go. Smoking, drinking, drugs, partying, friends. And I said, Jesus. And then I didn't think I could understand the Word of God. And the Word of God transformed me and changed me. And then Steve gets saved, and he goes into Teen Challenge. And it transformed and changed his life. And from that po point on, we started evangelizing. We didn't meet until two and a half years later in Bible school. But I'm telling you, revival starts when you know Him. And when you're going after him, and then the people that you're talking to, when they get revived, then something happens. Well, we had been in ministry. When we met each other and then we got married, we were in ministry, one-on-one -on -one evangelism. Our neighbors 
the children in our neighborhood, going to... Uh, being youth pastors, going out and ministering to drug addicts because we had been there and we knew what they needed. And so we we were youth pastors for about five years in churches and then we became missionaries and we went to language school in Costa Rica and we moved in. We did something radical. We moved in with a Costa Rican family when you're used to five years of living together and then you move in with a mother with four teenagers and all they do is speak Spanish, it's radical. But we had been revived. And it was not going out. When your flame gets lit, you've got to let the flame get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. But it's being faithful in the little things. If we don't reach out to our neighbors and we're not faithful in reaching out to them, how can we get on our face and say, God, help me reach the multitude? If we're not going to be faithfully reaching out to one-on-one-on-one -on -one -on -one with people. My husband, we would travel to different churches and we would go to a church. But it wasn't just to minister on that Sunday morning. It would be, he would ask the pastor, do you have people that are rough? that are tough, that you've been praying for, and you're not reaching, that you can't get through to them, I would like to go to their house and pray for them and talk to them. And I always like to tell this one particular story because this pastor and my husband, he got to his church on a Saturday, and he said, okay, I don't want to sit in my hotel room. Can we go visit somebody? And he, the toughest person in the church, somebody that you don't think is ever going to change, or you've been praying for them to change. And he said, yeah, I've got somebody. Let me call this the, the wife and see if it's okay if we can go to her house. And they went over there, and it was because her husband needed to be touched. And they go over there, and they stay for an hour talking to this man. Nothing happens how many times have you gone and talked to somebody and nothing happens? Do you give up? That's what that pastor that ministered to me every Saturday for two years, and he finally gets through to me after two years. He did not give up on me. So this pastor and Steve went over there and ministered to this guy for an hour, and when he left, he was so angry at his wife for letting the pastor and Steve come to the house to talk to him and tore into her afterwards. He was so angry. Well, that pastor and Steve both have gone home to be with Jesus. And I like to say they've entered into the fullness of God's presence. You know, they, they didn't die. They entered into the fullness of God's presence. And I have to be kind of jealous about that. I'm, I'm sorry. I have to deal with my jealousy. That God gets Steve, and Steve gets the fullness of God's presence. You know, so I'm jealous on both, both avenues. But a few years after Steve and this other pastor passed away, I get a letter from this guy that they went and visited and he said that after Pastor Mark and after Steve passed away and went home to be with Jesus, something happened to the seed that was planted in him. And it grew, 
and it flourished and it came alive. And now he is going to different houses and visiting people, the roughest ones that come to church, that don't come back, that don't want to change. He goes and visits them because of the seed that was planted in his heart. But it didn't come alive until Mark and Steve went home to be with Jesus. So your labor is never in vain. Never in vain. Always, don't get discouraged about a son or a daughter, a niece, a nephew, a brother, a sister, whoever it is that you're praying for, a neighbor that you can't get through to, that is not being revived in the presence of God. Just like that pastor went after me and I finally gave my life to Jesus. Then that guy that my husband and this other pastor went and talked to, Revival is not just a meeting. Revival is in you. And you are a carrier of the presence of God. If you seek it, if you go after it, if you desire it more than anything in your life, that you are willing to lay down things, it's so much easier to sit and watch TV or stare at our phones, this smartphone is so captivating and it pulls us away from spending time with him. And, but it also has a lot of really good things. Like I could read a scripture from it. That was awesome. And when I go out witnessing and things, sometimes I'll run across a Vietnamese person and I have the Bible on my phone and it, I can put in there Vietnamese and it will translate a scripture. And I say, hey, could, does this make sense? Does this scripture make sense? What does it mean to you? You know, using our smartphone in a smart way. Well, after 16 years of being married... And my youngest daughter, who is with me, at the time the revival took place, we had been missionaries for 12 years. Argentina, went to Costa Rica, like I said, to learn Spanish. Argentina, Spain, Russia. And we were evangelizing all over. We were planting churches because we felt like if we're going to lead people to Jesus, they had to have a church to grow in, right? So that's what we did. And... But then when we were in the States, we would travel and raise funds. But every time my husband got up to preach, he would say, okay, one line, we're missionaries, we're raising funds for this project, blah, blah, blah. And that would be it. But he says, I am in this meeting now, and it's all about you. Because I'm not called to a place, I'm called to a people. And you're part of that people. And you need ministry today. Where are you at spiritually? And I want you to think about that. As I'm sharing today, it's not all about this meeting or what God wants to do. It's about you, an individual person that hungers and thirsts after God. Well, we had been laboring for 16 years in ministry. We had given ourselves to it. We loved it. And we were, you know, evangelizing and ministering and touching people's lives and planning churches. But sometimes you know how to do things. 
And one day I walked into my husband's office where we, we shared an office and there was bookcases in between it. And when I walked in, Steve was laying on the floor crying out to God. And what I heard him saying is that he was doing this and this and I know how to do this and he's naming the things he knew how to do. Because you put your talents to, to work and you have abilities to do things and you have, whether you're a teacher, whether you, you know, whatever it is, whatever gift you have, God can take that gift and use it in the kingdom of God. But then, all of a sudden, and it wasn't the picture that's going to be up there. This was a picture taken at the Brownsville Revival where he was laying out. But at that time, he was probably, I can't remember what he was wearing, but I'm, I'm thinking he was probably what all of the staff were wearing that I didn't get a memo, you know, the shorts. He was probably laying on the floor, crying out to God. And he says, but God... I don't want to do it in my own strength. I want you to do it through me. And when I heard him say that, he didn't even hear me come in and hear him praying and seeking God on his face and going after God. He didn't hear me walk in on him. It was his time between him and God. But I got in on it, and I heard it, and it like punched me in the gut. And when it did, I, I stepped out. I didn't want to interrupt him. I, I went, yes, God. So I'm backing out of the room. I'm backing out, and I'm saying, yes, God. Do it through him, Jesus. 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 He doesn't want to do it in his own strength. He wants you to do it through him. Do it, Jesus. Do it, Jesus. Touch every single man in this place and do it through him, Jesus. God, have your way in every single woman's life. Jesus, pour out your spirit. Father, let your fire burn inside of their hearts that you do it through them, Jesus, not in their own strength, that they won't ever hold back and say, God, I'm an introvert. You can't use me. I'm, I don't have any talents for you. Oh, yes, you do. You know what your talent is? Your talent is the presence of God. And how do we get that? How do we get that? I need to pass through here just for a second. How do we get it? We get it by spending time with him. It's on our faces before God. It's on our faces. It's not anything that we can be taught. It's something that is stirred. It's something that we go after. It's something that if we seek it, we will find it. If we search for it with all our heart with all our heart. That's the only way you get it is right there. When you cry out to God, when you cry out to him in 1991, that's when that happened. When Steve cried out and he said, God, I don't want to do it in my own strength. 
I want you to do it through me. And it's going to come from me spending time on my face and being hungry for what you have done in the past. I want you to do in me right now in this present time for the future of the people that I meet, the future of the people that I see. And when he was on his face in 1991, he started compiling for a book. And this is the book, Time to Weep. It started stirring something totally different in us. Time to weep. Weep for the lost. Weep for ourselves. Pour out our lives. Pour out everything from inside of us that it's a weeping what did Jesus do before he went to Calvary? He wept. He wept. And he, what did he want when he wept? He wanted the Father's heart. And what is the Father's heart? The Father's heart is you. He wants you. He wants to revive you. And those that you come in contact with, he wants you to walk so much in his presence that you sense that he is doing something through you. And my, in sharing with you today, I want you to, my heart's desire is that you come to a place where there's such a weeping in your spirit that you're not satisfied in your presence with God, which you have in God, that you cry out for more. You cry out for more of Him. And I think that's what, um, was it Andrea this morning? Is that how you pronounce her name, Andrea? That's what she's portraying. It's all about Him and His heart. And when I touch people, I say, God, I want them to be set so on fire that there's a weeping that comes forth. My husband was a weeper. And that's why his very first book was, It's Time to Weep. I remember when we came back from Argentina, this book was in the making. He had been getting information together for four years in Argentina from before 91. He was compiling information on Time to Weep. This book is out of print. You can find some on Amazon. I've got mine for a dollar. I paid more in shipping. <laughs> Time to weep. When the Brownsville revival took place, I was, I had just given birth to her, and so I had a seven-year-old, a four-year-old, and a newborn, and it was going to be Father's Day, and Steve always, you know, book services in different churches, raising money for different projects and different missions, trips, and things, so he called John Kilpatrick to preach in his church to raise funds. Two weeks after that meeting, that Father's Day, he was going to be going to the Ukraine and doing a crusade in the Ukraine. 
So it was not on the schedule. And the reason Father's Day was open because nobody has a special speaker come in on Father's Day. How many are you pastors in here? Very few of you. Do you have special speakers on Father's Day? Not generally. <laughs> well, they, John Kilpatrick said, well, the only day I have open is Father's Day. And that was the only day Steve had open was Father's Day. And I'm thinking to myself, this is her first Father's Day. <laughs> she goes, I don't remember it, so it's okay. <laughs> but, you know, there's a price to pay when you say yes to God and you don't say, oh, well, you know, that doesn't fit my schedule. But that Friday before Father's Day, I told Steve, because God had been moving, things had been happening, and from 91 on, probably a little bit earlier than 91, he was slain in the spirit the first time in 1987 in a crusade in Argentina, and you, I knew it was God because he fell out in the mud. And so if somebody doesn't care what they're falling into, you know it's God. And God was stirring and, and doing things, but 91 was pivotal. Something shifted in the heavenlies when he cried out and said, God, I don't want to do it in my own strength. And so he traveled around and he went through um, London Sandy Miller had a church in London. He went there and got prayed for there. He heard God was moving there. And so whenever we were in the you know, UK, he would visit different grave sites of all these different men of God that had touches from God. And he, he would kneel at that grave site and say, God, what you did in them, do in me. It wasn't, it was at home. It was visiting grave sites. It was reading their books. It was a full package of hungry for more of God, hungry. And so that, when this was coming along and it had been stirring, God was doing things in every single church and meetings that he was going to. But it was an outflow of praying for those people ahead of time. He didn't just go in with a message thinking of just his message, God, how is this going to touch that person's life in that meeting? What are you gonna do in their lives? And so when Brownsville came along, I, that Friday, I said, Steve, I really feel like he's going to ask you to stay. And I was thinking a week. And so he, um, he goes, and he, but before he leaves, he goes, no, I'm not going to do that. You just had a baby. We're going to go on a vacation before I go to the UK. I am not staying. I'm going to go in there for Sunday morning, Father's Day, and come home. And I said, okay. And all heaven comes down. And so we're going to do, you want to do your clip now? The little clip we're going to watch in the video is about five weeks into the Brownsville revival. It started in Father's Day 1995. It ran to 2000. Uh, so it ran for five years. Steve was preaching four or five times a week. But there was a girl 14 years of age every day. So there was a young girl, 14 years of age, called Charity. And they asked her to sing a song called Mercy Seat. So when Steve finished preaching, he would make an altar call. So it's just to give you a little glimpse of what happened like every day in Brownsville for, for five years.
I'm opening these altars. As soon as the music starts for this song, you run to the Lord for mercy. He will not turn you down tonight. You run to the Lord. Don't look around. Don't wait. Don't let the devil sit on your lap. Hop up and you come to Jesus right now. Right now. Get up right now. Don't wait on anybody else. In the dark, come on. Where everything is unknown, I face the power.
single night that he preached. In the beginning, the first year, we stayed a year and we moved nine times that year because we did not know we were staying. We did not know what God had planned. My husband did not have 365 messages for that year prepared because as an evangelist, you could travel with five. And every single day, he had to prepare a new message every single day. And why? Because we were not no people. We were yes people. And you have to be a yes person to God. In order for, God to, for you to see God move, you've got to be a yes person. And he called me that Sunday and said, can you come? Can you bring the kids? Fly in with the kids? Stay for, we'll stay for a week. It was going to be a week. He said, we'll have our vacation here in Pensacola, and I'll preach at night, but I'll spend time with you guys in the afternoon. And that was going to be our vacation. I said, okay. I was still recuperating from having had a baby. And I flew in with my seven-year-old, four-year-old, and the newborn. We lost our luggage in the way, had to go get something for that service. But God, if people ask me if I could put one word on the Brownsville revival, it would be God. It was all about him. And everybody else was a vessel. My husband was the vessel that preached. Linda was the vessel that sang and led worship. He, each one of the ministry team that was up there singing with him was a vessel that was being used by God. And everybody on the prayer team, and so many people got touched by the whole prayer team. And they spent time on their faces with God. That church had been praying for two and a half years, corporately, together, around banners, praying that God would move. And we don't know what that looks like when God moves, but you desire it, but then there is a price to pay. You don't get to sit home at night and watch TV. Because I would homeschool my kids during the day, then we'd rest a little bit in the afternoon, we'd leave the house at five o'clock, and we, were, we lived an hour away, and we'd arrive at six, service started at seven, we would not leave till midnight. Every night. Every single night, he preached a new message every single night, and I was there in every single service. And I sat on the edge of my seat, interceding for my husband, because I knew that I had to be one with him in order for him to be able to do this. I could not be a ball and chain. I couldn't go, oh, we don't want to do this. Let's go home. This is too much. No, let's not sacrifice like this. Let's not be in prayer, you know, services every single night. And there was even times he would come at three, at three or four in the morning. They would take me and the kids home. And three or four in the morning, he would be in his sleep praying over me, more Lord, more Lord. I'd wake up to him hovering like a, I'd be laying down and about a foot above me. He's going, more Lord, more Lord with his hand in his sleep. We have to even pray that God is stirring us when we're sleeping because your spirit is not asleep. It is a 24-7. That's what this conference is today, right? 
24-7? It is a 24-7 commitment to God. In our sleep, our every waking hour is totally committed to Him and we're not letting anything. What will hinder a, a move of God? Sin. Sin will keep a move of God from happening. And sin, we don't have, you know, we, some, what we do is we kind of list sins, right? We kind of make a list and, well, this is sin. Well, we'll just stay away from that list. But in all actuality, and I should have this verse ready. I'm not really, I'm, it's just coming to my mind as I'm talking. So I'm kind of like you. <laughs> But it says in the Bible that sin, he that knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. He that knows to do good and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. That is way bigger than a list that we can make. So if we're not doing the heart of God, the will of God, that the seeking of God, that's knowing to do good. Seeking God is knowing to do good. But it is a stirring in our spirit to go after God in order for it to happen. In order for God to have his way, we've got to have a, that heart of David, that heart after God, for him to move. And... Those five years were the most incredible. I thought, you know, the first 16 years of our marriage were the most incredible. But having served God alongside Steve for 35 years, it was all about doing the will of God and being open to him and not saying, okay, no, this is not allowed. You know, I'm not going to do this. And but it's saying yes to whatever God wants to do in and through a person's life. And if we're not seeking him, we won't find him. If we're not going after him, if we're not... My, our favorite scripture was Psalm 126.6. He who continually goes forth weeping. This is in the New King James Version. Bearing seed for sowing shall doubtless... Come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. We wept for souls because we had been a sinner who had been saved by grace. How many have been a sinner? And if you've been saved by grace, you know what a person has been through. And I think I like to use my testimony in talking to people. Just little snippets of it. My mom was raped when she was 17 years old. I was born of that rape. I am thankful that I've had a chance to serve God and my life was not aborted. She was a single mom. She got married. She had two sons in the first marriage. I don't remember that first stepdad. I never met my real father. And for five years, they divorced. Then for five years, she was very poor on food stamps and welfare where the government took care of her. She couldn't work because she had three kids. So we were super incredibly poor. We lived on my grandparents' farm that had an outhouse and no running water. And the outhouse had a rope going from the outhouse to the house because just in case a blizzard came, you knew how to make it back to the house if you're out there in the outhouse. 
We had a pump, no running water in the house, very poor. At 10, my mom remarried another man who was an alcoholic and very verbally abusive and physically abusive, beat us. Hate, bitterness grew in my heart. That's why I started smoking and drinking at age 12. I was trying to cover up a hurt and a pain inside of me. I know what people need. I know that Jesus is the answer. My husband knew that Jesus was the answer. He had picked us up out of the miry clay and set us on a solid rock. And if you've had any kind of a little bit of a testimony, it will touch somebody's life. If they know that you've come out of something. A couple of weeks ago, I had a dream and it was, there was a pool and it was a, you know how pools can get kind of mucky and they've got all this algae and stuff growing. It was kind of a mucky pool. And somebody challenged me to walk on water. And I went, all right, yeah, I'll do that. I'm going to walk. And so in my dream, I'm getting out there on the water and I'm walking on water and all of a sudden I'm running on top of the water. We are in a murky world. And we, as Christians, need to be water walkers. Above the muck and the mire of the world, we can walk on water spiritually. We might not be able to do it physically, but we can sure do it spiritually, okay? We can do it physically. I mean, some miracle. You can put a glass bottom like at the top and it looks like there's, there's water just kind of about like this. We can go walk on water. But spiritually, we can walk on water. And I am so incredibly thankful that God gave me a husband that was set free and that God set me free and that he healed my heart and showed me the word of God and taught me the word of God and transformed me. Somebody told me, well, you've been brainwashed. And I said, I needed my brainwashed. Instead of my thoughts, my ways, my opinions, I needed God's thoughts, his ways, and his opinion. And I needed to memorize it to know it. And so I'm not going to get into all of, all of the message here, but I'm going to end with this. That my husband passed away from a battle with cancer. And what do we do when God doesn't answer our prayers? Because for six years I prayed for a healing in my husband. I was trying to twist the arm of God and have it go my way. Does that change my view of an all-powerful, mighty God? No. What it does is it puts in me, I know that he sees the big picture. And Kelsey, I can get my book. Because when the revival, when Steve's part of the revival ended, it was because not as many sinners were coming and my husband had to preach to sinners. And he felt like, you know, he had gotten all these invites from all over the world. So he started traveling all over the world because people were saying, we can't all go to Pensacola, please come to us. So in 99, he started going to different places. And I think in 99, he went to Japan and Germany. And it stirred up in him a desire to go back to the nations again. Because he knew not everybody could come unless sinners were coming. You know, when you get an evangelist in the room, they got to preach to sinners. You know, pastors, pastor people. <laughs> and um, so we 
we decided that it was time for him to go to the nations again. And when he did that, um, it was harder because I didn't get to be in all of his services. You know, during the Brownsville revival, I got to be in every single service. I could pray and I could seek God and, you know, pray for the people that were coming. But then, you know, there's a different kind of sacrifice when your husband is traveling the world that takes place. But in the end, it's 100%. God, what do you want to do? What does God want to do in and through us? And I was going to go when um, my husband went home to be with Jesus. Um, a couple months later, I was going through some, he collected old antique books. And we got a lot, like 2,000 plus old antique books and they're all Christian. And this one, I ran across this one and it says, Widow Directed. My husband had bought this book, or God led him to buy this book, knowing that one day I was going to be a widow. And in this book, it talks about widows being directed, and that it, there's a bigger picture. And Ruth and Naomi, they saw their situation. They, Naomi had lost a husband and two sons, and then Ruth lost a, a husband. Then they go back, she remarries, and she has a child, but that lineage is David, then Jesus. That's the big picture. But they never saw the big picture. But what this did was it planted in me a desire to be a part of God's big picture. That there's more than just my world and my little world of loss. And seven months after I lost my husband, I lost my son. And a couple weeks after losing my son, I, I went, I, there was a book in the house. I went, I wonder what that book is. And I go pick up the book and it's when you've lost a child. God cares about every single thing you've ever been through, but he doesn't want you to wallow in it. He wants us to rise above it and see his big picture. From that point on, I asked God, and I, I think I have a clip for that, but it's probably not on here. Take my tears of loss and turn them into tears for the lost. It would be so easy to be wrapped up in my situation and crying over myself, but I want to be a part of God's big picture. And I want that for every single person in this room, that he wants us to... Not look at our small world, but try to see God's big picture in all of it and how you fit in God's big picture in getting his purpose and plan accomplished in reaching this world for Christ. There's a broad, broad way that the majority of the world is living in. And then there's a narrow way. And we need to make the remnant way wider than the wasted way because they're wasting their life. They have no purpose in God. And my prayer for each and every one of you is that your, your Holy Spirit inside of you is being stirred for more of God and more of a big picture. The ball gathering 20.